to finding our way. We are nearing the end of the first season. We have a few more amazing episodes left, but we wanted to just dip in here and do a Q&A episode, answer some of the questions that we received from you all uh, via our Instagram, via our website, our email, and spend some time with some of the things that are coming up for you all this season. And joining me today is my brother, Eddie Hempill. Hi, Eddie. What up, what up? <laughs> and you're going to be asking the questions and, and maybe answering some of the questions too. So uh, how you doing today and what you got? Um, I'm, doing, I'm doing pretty good today. It's a little hot in my house, um, but <laughs> other than that, I'm, I'm glad to be here. How are you feeling about this season so far? I think this season has done everything we wanted it to do. I'm very, very excited about how it has turned out and where I see it going in the next couple episodes. It really, to me, feels like a deepening of what we've been trying to do. So season two is kind of lit, I would say. I agree. And shout out to Devin Delania, who's a producer on the show, who compiled all these questions from you all. I'm excited to dig in and see what you all have been thinking about since we've been deep into season two. So our first question today is from CK Hamilton, and CK just wants to know uh, a little bit more about your own training and your lineage in somatics, P. Uh, let's see, where to begin that story? I think most people, maybe when they ask that question, are talking about kind of my formal study. And my formal study comes through my training with generative somatics. I started studying there in 2011 and stopped training there in 2019, I believe, and was a teacher there in, I think, probably the last four years of my time there, something like that. I also was a teacher with Black Organizing for Leadership and Dignity, Bold. I started teaching with Bold in 2015. The first course I taught was actually in Ferguson. and um, I trained there also um, with other teachers there at Bold and studied there and taught there as well, kind of concurrently with generative somatics. So that's a lot of my formal education that sits in relationship to my education as a therapist. I have a degree in clinical psychology, a master's degree. There was some somatic learning in there, not a tremendous amount, but I really trace my lineage back further than that in a way and beyond that. My study of somatics began inside of my culture and community and the way that we transmitted and communicated information to each other through ritual, through movement, through dance, through food, through song. All of those elements to me are deeply somatic. In fact, it's somatics as a field. I think I talked about this last season, but somatics as a field to me exist because of colonization in part and because of the ways that cultures have been disrupted by colonization and criminalized by colonization too that many of the practices that all colonized communities have have engaged in have been criminalized or gone underground to some degree and so somatics to me is a part of bring, bringing meaning back into our embodiment, bringing awareness back into our embodiment, intentionally practicing ways of being towards what we actually care about. But all of those are deeply disrupted because of the experience we've had of colonization and the forced embodiment or forced behaviors that many of us have had to take on, the forced 
relational power differentials that we've had to have, um, the, the stripping away of cultures, all of this has happened. And so somatics is, is one of the ways that we are trying to reinfuse kind of intention, awareness, and meaning into what and how we do things. So my lineage of somatics precedes the term somatics in a way it comes from um, being embedded in and from my culture and my people and the things that we have done. So growing up in the South, um, growing up in a black community, the the things that are not named somatics but are deeply cultural are very, very much a part of my lineage. Somatics helped me in some ways, and it's it's kind of problematic to say, but I'm going to say it, it, it legitimized in some ways the things that I had been taught in nonverbal ways through my community, how to be in connection, how to be close, how to express myself, how to move energy through, which was so much of what would come out of our spiritual traditions and spiritual practices. So that's a huge, 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 huge part of my lineage. And it is still challenging to name, I think, in a way that people take, quote unquote, seriously in this in this canon of somatics, but that is where so much of my learning comes from and, and what I'm really remembering now, I think, through my somatic practice is what all of that has meant to my ancestors and to my community. And now I continue to study and learn. I don't know if I situate myself exactly in any one somatic lineage now, but I learned from a real wide range of teachers, somatic teachers who have taught dance, have taught through dance, folks that have taken the more neurobiology route. I'm always interested in the study of culture and cultural adaptations and cultural trauma and cultural resilience, all of these things. So all of these threads, I mean, I could give you, and folks have asked for a kind of reading list, but all of these things inform my somatic practice now, as well as just my own exploration. So does that answer it? Um, yeah, I think that's a really great deep dive. I think it's a question that we got during last season's Q&A as well. People wanting more detail and detail about how you came to this work. So um, that's great. Yeah. I could go on for a day. <laughs> so our next question um, comes from Gabriela Feingold, and they ask, how do you balance urgency and slowing down in personal community and systemic work? Well, I guess I, I don't think that those are separate actions, mm. slowing down and doing community work. You know, we talk about when we started this podcast, part of the intention was to create a slower paced place to engage in these big and liberatory concepts, but to do so at least more so from a place and from a pace, I guess, where we could process and engage deeply. I think so much can be coming at us the way that information is set up these days and social media. It's just like a constant scroll of information and ideas and we can get activated around them. We can get amplified around them, but it doesn't necessarily come at us at the pace that allows it to really sink in to find the places where it really can take root or where we can feel the places where it contradicts things that we are currently holding to be true. So I wanted to create this space to slow down so that the work could be deeper. Um, so I think one of my main commitments is to not move from urgency, because I feel like what happens in urgency recreates many of the things that are just causing us a lot of pain and turmoil, 
um, I think they come from urgency. I think they come from the kind of pace that doesn't let us take in ourselves or other people or whatever it is we're doing. It doesn't allow us to actually take things in and it lends itself towards this objectification speed. Mm. And so I think it's not even resisting urgency. It's just moving at the pace of your breath or the pace of your heartbeat. I think unfolds something much deeper, potentially more powerful, potentially more transformative than what we unfold in our urgency or scarcity or all of that. So it doesn't mean that there aren't things that have to be done right now, but I think many of the things that we are trying to do could be done best, more thoughtfully and in coordination, more aligned with ourselves and our own breath. I think they would be more lasting, more powerful, more connective, uh, moving from that pace. And that's a really hard thing to unlearn because we can feel the bigness of everything and we're like, oh, I want to just attack it with as many things as possible. And I, I think it's, it can feel kind of counterintuitive or go against what are urgent or reactive or I think the parts of us that just get overwhelmed and really want to help and contribute, it can sometimes feel counter to that. But I think when we are able to feel the weight of our, our power, what we're each actually able to do and let it unfold at its pace, I think once we have a sense of what that feels like, we, I think we can start to understand um, why things have to slow down or why we might have to slow down, quote unquote, even though it really speeds things up. If you slow down and do things really well, everything runs much smoother after that, I think. Do you have any thoughts on that, Eddie? Um, yeah, I mean, you know, when you started and you gave the podcast kind of as an example of that, it, it just took me back to the to the moment where I think we came to the orientation of it, like centering questions first Mm -hmm. and just, you know, how that did feel right kind of for all of these reasons. Like we were thinking about things we were curious about in your personal connections. Right. And, and we were thinking about, you know, how, how their work, what they've done or their kind of modalities operate in community and trying to get that to, to impact like the larger work. Right. So I think that's, that's such a, good and interesting example of how those things work together and hopefully what what we're doing right yeah i hope so yeah let's see so the next question i'm trying to squint at this person's name got it i was reading it all the wrong way uh me myself and eyes 75 Ooh, come on me myself and eyes i don't know levels they ask has doing the podcast together changed or shifted your sibling relationship and how Ooh, you first. Dang, why, why me first? Just cause? Because I'm because I'm older than you. Oh god, it's changed nothing clearly. <laughs> Do I think it's changed anything? I think it's brought to fruition some things that I've always suspected. Is that like I think we could work really well together, and that like kind of the things that I think we've both brought to this could complement each other really well, and create something that's pretty impactful um so i i don't know that it's changed things but i think it's like yeah it's i think it's realized something that was always a potential um, Hmm. in my mind um that's interesting i feel like it 
I, I feel similarly like there's something that was always there, but I feel like maybe I'm going to put this out there mm-hmm. and maybe we get to appreciate each other in our, in our skill sets mm. and in our kind of brilliance a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I feel that at least for you, I'm like, Oh, I get to be like, Oh, I see what you're doing. I see how you look at things. I just get to witness more up close kind of what you do and how and what your offerings are. I think that has been, it didn't change. It's not like I didn't think that those things were there, but yeah, it just kind of illuminates it more um, for me. Yeah, I agree with that. I think um, I've gotten to see your process of, you know, your writing and things like that. And I feel like it's been cool to be able to like support some of those things and, and see some of the things we get to talk through and talk about is has been fun so yeah think like appreciate and realize are the are the words mm-hmm. i don't think i knew i knew that you were creative i don't think i really identified as a creative person mm-hmm. until this process and maybe you know some of the other processes that i'm i'm in right now but i'm i think you have given me permission to think of myself as a creative person mm-hmm. more so and I think in doing that, I'm like, dang, we both creative. We've been creative. And then I think back of all the ways we used to like play or, you know, make up songs or make up characters mm-hmm. or play games together. I'm like, oh, we've been creative this whole time. Yeah, for sure. I think together. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like some of the songs we got that I'm not going to sing. Yeah, Dr. Rose Stinker, you know? <laughs> yeah, I mean, We've been creating stuff for a long time together, so maybe that's why it doesn't feel like change, too, because it's like we've been playing for decades, really, in some way. Good question. Good question. Me, myself, and eyes. Yes. Okay, so the next question comes from Electric Lady MSJ. Electric Lady. Okay, all right. No, we're not. You didn't need that. <laughs> I I didn't impre- not necessarily need, but you know I I'm 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 glad for it. Um, let's see. Electric Lady says, "What is the most difficult thing about deciding who to have as a guest on the show?" <sighs> so I'm gonna answer that because I think that mostly kind of rests in my domain. You know, one of my roles is to think through guests and um, read everybody's books. That's one thing I talk about, too. It's like, read all the books. Um, the way that I... What's the question? Is What's the most difficult thing about it? Is that the question? Yeah, maybe it's like, maybe it's like about process and um, what whatever the most difficult thing lies in that but I think it's interesting to think about like when when we do get really excited about folks that like that moment too so maybe it's just about the process mm-hmm, of mm-hmm. signing how it happens mm-hmm. it feels if I'm honest it, it's like uh, uh the last question about uh, being creative together it's it it feels like a sketching in my mind like I'm trying to sketch or paint a thing and it's not just about the episode. I definitely don't just think about the episode. I think about the season. I think about the feeling and I think about the conversation between 
the people in the season. Um, the, cause I think there's the questions that come from the conversation that I have with people, which I, you know, I feel so genuinely curious about the things that people are sharing. That's why we've asked them to be on the podcast. Cause I'm actually curious about what they are thinking about and what they have to say. But then there's the questions that get opened up in the spaces between the episodes too, and how the episodes talk to each other, I think open up new questions. Um, so I'm, I'm always thinking about the kind of arc, the relationship between the guests um, and how, what the overall feeling is. So I think in terms of, I, I think the process really is that I read a lot of books. And I like ask people who inspire me, who inspires them. Mm. And I listen to other podcasts and things like that. That That's how I figure out who the guests are. And I talk to my friends because a lot of my friends are really smart people too. Um, that's the process. And then I think one of the challenges is like you ask people and they might say no. And that doesn't happen actually a ton. We've been really lucky, but sometimes it does. Or sometimes people say not right now. Um, so you can have your heart and mind set on somebody and then they can't do it. So that's a that's a difficult thing. If I've kind of mapped out the arc of a season and then someone can't do it, it's like, okay, 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 okay. Kind of regroup. Or sometimes I think we get lost in people's email inboxes as well. Yeah, that definitely happens. So please check your email inboxes, check your spam occasionally. Yes. We might be in there. So I think there's also just some incredible people that I still really want to talk to and hopefully will get to talk to. And it's not the seasons aren't about necessarily who I wanted to talk to first or who we wanted to have on first. It's the way that they related to the overall questions that we have. So we have a running list of folks that we would love to be in conversation with and just trying to make it all dance together. I think is one of the things that I feel really attentive to. Uh, we were talking about it the other day, but just the way that, you know, we kind of named the theme of this season at the top about being uh, like living and looking into our shadows. And I think the way that the guests, all of the things that it takes to get somebody on the show, the way that it's kind of fallen into place to still to have that be true is really interesting. And like, I think for me, makes me know that this is the way it's supposed to happen and what it's the way it's supposed to be. Yeah, it does feel like that. It's felt like that from the start. Like, oh, it's supposed to it's supposed to go like this. Yeah. The way that people be like messaging you just as we're checking in about whether or not we're going <laughs> to yeah. be able to get them on the show. So, yeah. That's happened multiple times with people I didn't know. So, yeah. I, I, I honestly think it's just like my curiosity, the like letting the questions lead. Everything just seems to be it falls into place and timing from that feels like divinely. Okay. And so I think this is going to be our last question, but this one actually comes from Kasha. Kasha asks, if you could inception one idea into everyone in the world, what would it be? That doesn't sound consensual. Yeah, that's intense. But To me. <laughs> <laughs> but if we pretended like that was okay, let me see if I can reframe it. If I could persuade everyone towards one idea, what would it be? I think it would be, I don't know if this is the answer for all time, but I think it's the answer 
for how I feel about this moment, which is that we would understand how alive everything is. I've been writing some and thinking some about dehumanization and the way we are often, you know, as black people in particular, I think the same for femme folks, for women. I think that there's a way that people's full humanity is just restricted or not offered or people are made out to be subhuman or I think sometimes the way femme people, women, gender nonconforming people are conceptualized in this world, everybody who's not a cis man really is seen as a kind of not an adult. It's hard to achieve adult for whatever that means. And that's its own concept that could be really problematic too. But I think there's a way that we restrict who is human and who is not, obviously, in many, many ways. Mm. I think the issue is that we restrict who is human, but we also restrict who is alive. And what I want to say is, I think that we can really readily turn many things into objects, and that objects or not fully human, this, this way of like measuring whose life is worth it based on something that we've made up feels like the root of so many problems and issues, objectification. And I think dehumanization is a part of that process. So if I can inception one idea consensually into everyone's mind, I think it would be that there is life in nearly everything. And what choices do you make with that knowledge? How do you act with that information? Um, What are the ecological choices you make? What are the kinds of policies you create? What are the kind of structures we create with that kind of knowledge that, that we are surrounded by life? We are ourselves life. And I, I just think it, it complicates our choices, obviously. I think that's why human beings have tried to deny and create these concepts around objectification because it simplifies our lives because we're able to amass power in certain ways and deny responsibility or defer responsibility in certain ways. and. I think to begin to undo the massive traumas that we've caused as a species to the world and to each other, we have to start to see how much life is actually around us and make choices from that place. So I think that would be what I'd want to kind of have everybody believe, (laughs) if anything. Yeah. Do you have anything? My one thing, I think I would, if I were to inception anything, it would be the idea that both sitcom television uh, specifically and network television generally peaked with Living Single. Um, <laughs> and that cast should be running the world. And that's, that's really it. <laughs> Maxine, Khadija. Yes. Erica Alexander should be. Erica Alexander, come on. Come on. Come on. Erica Alexander, underrated. Kim Fields, you know, Kim that's, Fields. that's the one, that feels like the one truth to me, like objective truth. <laughs> Yo, we're missing somebody else in the cast. Wait, we have Kim Fields, we have Queen Latifah, we have... Um, Kim Coles. Kim Coles, that's who we missing. That's who we missing, Kim mm-hmm. Coles. And shout out to the dudes whose names I don't know at all, but were <laughs> geniuses in their, I mean, geniuses in their own. Terrence C. Carson. Okay. Okay. Come through with the names. Mm-hmm. John Hinton. Okay. Yes. That entire yes. cast should be running 
the world. Yeah. That's, that's the objective truth of our universe. Can you just think about how, like, that was coming out. We were watching it. But there are people who, we're saying Living Single, this show right now, there are going to be people listening to this, this episode. This is going to be the first time they've ever heard of Living Single. Not if I inception it into their minds. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? That's the problem. That's the issue that we're, uh, we're bucking up against. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I stand, I stand with that. If we're going to inception anything, that might be it. Okay. I'm glad we can agree. It starts with the first person. I have a question for you. Mm-hmm. Uh, what's your favorite thing about working on this podcast? Um, I think my favorite thing is, you know, I, I think, like we said, the intention was to, like, take people who are doing really great work off script. Um, but I think I get to see it in a way that, you know, even folks who listen to the podcast don't get. Like there are there are a few this season that were like really particularly um, moving for me. I already appreciate these people's work, but then like really get to see who they are and where where it kind of like comes from in them. That's one thing I really love. And then editing it, I get to hear even the things that I missed in the interviews. Right. So, yeah, that that's like that's always really great. And, you know, I always, you know. Come, I usually come out of these things with another book to read and buy. I do really feel like the show impacts people and touches people. So what's your favorite thing? I think my favorite thing is that too. I'm, I mean, I'm, I am a nerd or I am curious about the world, I think is another way to say it. So I feel like I get to have all the conversations that I want to have about the things that I want to talk about. And I'm learning so much um, through the podcast. And that is really my favorite part. I get nervous going into an episode. What am I going to say? What am I going to sound like? Are my questions going to make sense to people? Um, I get really nervous and I do prep for the interviews. I usually have way more questions than I get to ask. Um, I try to do a good amount of prep before the interviews. Um, but usually once I'm in, once I'm past the first question, I am no longer nervous and it's just feeling like washed over by ideas and people's passion and clarity about something that someone's gotten into some particular element of liberatory work and they've just been like practicing and creating and making distinctions. I love it. And so when they start talking, I'm like, oh, I never thought of that. So my notes, you know, I have my questions listed out and usually I number, I'll just like list out like three pages of questions and then I'll go back through them and I'll number them. I'll put like a one circulated three and usually it's all over the place, but it's the order I think I'm going to go in. But then at the end, I look at my notes and I've like created questions in the margins and drawn arrows and you know, made exclamation points and, and none of it goes in a straight line. So I think that's my favorite part of it. And, and this team, I think working with you and Devin um, has been really fun. We just, yeah, it's been really fun to create this little project that has been so much. Yeah, I agree with that. It's really, it's been so good to see, you know, people really step into their, I guess, roles on the show and like create really beautiful things like, a, you know, Devin all the things that she makes and all the things that she organizes, like I low key just be 
amazed every time she just like i made this thing that's like gonna (laughs) create a whole structure for how we should work and do this thing or i made this whole thing that is a transcript but also brings the episode into another dimension so i'm always really amazed and um, i always see your process of having your questions like you said and then um, always being so intrigued by the end of the episode like how did we get here and um (laughs) you know your ability to just kind of pivot with people is really always fun to see so yeah i agree and and i will just say that for people who are not subscribers to our patreon um that is how we do this podcast and make it happen and devin is over there creating some amazing gifts for people who are our patrons um so if you would like to get some finding our way goodies that is the place to do them. Devin is constantly creating and sharing um, booklets, transcripts from each episode um, that I think are, are really amazing tools and resources for people. So um, please check that out. Yeah, and I, and I think the Patreon is like something that is is kind of constantly blossoming, and I've really loved the way that people are starting to be able to like give feedback and ideas and. Um, and just the way that that kind of helps us also think about the show in new ways. So such a cool place and has been and is becoming a cooler place too. Okay, well, yeah, that's our that was our Q&A episode. Yeah, any last thoughts, P? I just want to thank everybody for submitting their questions to the Q&A. We couldn't get to all of them, but please do keep sending them in. It is fun to know what people are thinking about. And we want to keep engaging with you all. I mean, we are trying to build this podcast out and this podcast community out to be a space where we are all learning together. We're all in these rich questions together. And so it it really requires that we hear from you all and build with you all. So um, just first gratitude for being with us on this journey. The folks that have been with us from the beginning, folks that are discovering it, thank you. And please keep talking to us. We appreciate it. It's fun. Yeah, and if we get an overflow of questions, maybe you get another Q&A episode. You know? That's right. That's how that goes. That's how that goes. All right. Well, P, thank okay. you for this episode. This was fun. Thanks, Eddie. It's always fun to do stuff with you. Yeah. Yeah. And thank you to everybody listening. Thanks. Finding Our Way is co-produced and edited by Eddie Hemphill. Co-production and visual design by Devin Delania. Assistant Editing by Amy Pignon. Please make sure to rate, subscribe, and review wherever it is that you listen to this podcast. You can also find us on Instagram at Finding Our Way Podcast or email us with questions, suggestions, or feedback at findingourwaypod at gmail.com. You can also help sustain the podcast by becoming one of our Patreon subscribers. You can find us on Patreon at Finding Our Way Podcast. Thank you for listening to Finding Our Way.